Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. ACAA Loma Linda. 1050 AM. 106.5 FM. And now 102.3 FM. News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. Queen Elizabeth died peacefully today at the age of 96 with her family by her side. She was the world's longest reigning monarch. Buckingham Palace confirmed she died at her castle in the Scottish Highlands. The queen was crowned at the age of 25 and her reign lasted over 70 years. More from the UK with reporter Abby Bonnell. The queen's body will return from Buckingham Palace from Scotland as preparations move forward. It's expected to be the largest in British history and will be held at London's Westminster Abbey. King Charles III, who called his mother's death a moment of great sadness, is expected to make immediate changes within the royal family. The Justice Department is appealing a decision to appoint a special master to review documents seized from ex-President Trump's Mar-a-Lago property. That comes following Judge Aileen Cannon approving Trump's request for that third-party watchdog. Two people are dead after a small plane crashed in Los Angeles County. It happened at the Santa Monica Airport Thursday night. Police say both victims were pronounced dead at the scene. President Biden is once again ripping MAGA Republicans... But the extreme set of MAGA Republicans has chosen to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. And together, Democrats, independents, and mainstream Republicans can choose a different path forward to a future of unity and hope and some optimism. Speaking at a Democratic National Committee fundraiser in Maryland Thursday, he said our democracy is on the November ballot. An oil company is pleading guilty in a massive Californian oil spill. Houston-based Amplify Energy pled guilty in federal court to negligently discharging crude oil off the coast of Southern California while experiencing an underwater pipeline leak last October. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio.
segment is sponsored by press print southern california's best full service union printer and mail house they offer the lowest prices around with unmatched service and reliability and free delivery throughout socal press print can print anything from letterhead business cards and campaign literature to mailers of any size lawn signs banners door hangers or just about anything you might want press print promises to save money for you your business or your campaign if you'd like to learn more contact mike krumbrin at press print 714-399-870 Attention all business owners. Join Seas Candies, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, and the Spunky Steer at the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. Availability is now open for restaurants, retail, and more. Located between Alabama and the Tennessee exits where the 10 and the 210 meet, your company can be a part of over 60 retail shops, restaurants, and local businesses. The Tri-City Shopping Center is zoned for multi-use, so call today and schedule an appointment. Ask for Chris Beauchamp or John Jennings, 951-684-4400. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, the mall with a heart. Now, here's a new concept, digital network advertising where businesses display your ad inside their building. If a picture's worth a thousand words, your company is going to thrive with digital network advertising. Choose your marketing sites or jump on the DNA system and advertise with all participants. Your business ad or logo is rotated multiple times an hour inside local businesses where people will discover your company. Digital network advertising, DNA. A novel way to be seen and remembered. 
digital network advertising with networks in Redlands and Yucaipa. Call in the 909 area, 222-9293 for introductory pricing. That's 909-222-9293 for digital network advertising. One last time, digital network advertising, 909-222-9293. Small car service in Moreno Valley reminds everyone that the blood you donate gives someone another chance at life. Someday, that someone might be a friend, a loved one, or even you. So, please give blood and give the gift of life. This message, courtesy of Small Car Service at 14320 Ellsworth Street, Suite 104 in Moreno Valley. Known for quality, integrity, and knowledgeable, courteous service. Call 951-656-680. Small Car Service is on the air because they care. This is Judge Herb Dodell, and our show is called For the People. It's available every Monday at 4 o'clock, 4 to 5. And we'll be talking about all kinds of things pertaining to the law and how it really works from the inside as opposed to the outside. So tune in and learn all you need to know about the legal system and how it works. 20 years ago, Fido the dog lived out in the backyard. Now he lives in a house and sleeps in a bed. And so we ask, how did the United States become a pet nation. Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Well, hello out there. You are tuned into the 1297th edition of the Food Chain Radio Show. Or hey, perhaps you're among our friends way up there in Toronto who are tuned into the Food Chain Podcast at MetroFarm.com. Well, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, on a recent flight from New Orleans, my wife pointed to four companion animals that were visible from where we were seated. And when one is buckled into a seat on an airplane, one's vision is pretty limited. There must have been more animals aboard that flight. Holy smokes! Our pets are now flying with us. You know, in the past two decades, the population of pets in the United States has nearly doubled. During this same period of time, the birth rate of the nation's human population has been in decline, leading to one of the lowest birth rates on record and heading for the lowest birth rate ever. Given the numbers, it is evident that the United States has given itself over to becoming a pet nation. In fact, almost two-thirds of Americans now own a pet, and we treat those pets as if they were our children. We turn our homes and yards over to them, feed them the best foods money can buy, take them to pet doctors who cost a fortune, build parks for them, and yes, we even fly with them now. (laughs) That so many Americans are now owned by their pets leads us to ask, how did the United States become a pet nation? Here to help us find the answer, we have Mark Cushing, who is founder and CEO of Animal Policy Group and the author of Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. Mark, uh, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the food chain. Good morning. Now, Good for great conversation. Yeah. Now, surely, Mark, you have a pet. Well, we have more than one pet. We have a puppy, uh, a papillon, 
smaller dog named Louie, and then we have two Bengal kittens, which are Olympic athletes masquerading as cats. Uh-huh. And which, which pet is the boss? Well, uh, were you to interview, the, uh, all three would say they are, of course. Uh, cats, as you know, treat people as staff. Dogs treat us as their owners and, and pet parents. Louie's kind of an officer, Louie, inspector general, making sure the cats don't have too much fun and don't threaten his relationship with my wife. Um, but it's it's a daily contest, uh, and, and I wouldn't bet any given day on, on which pet. And as such, they probably keep you pretty entertained, don't they? They are <coughs> a constant source of belly laughs, not just chuckles or, or modest humor, but excuse me but just very entertaining so can't complain well good complain well mark cushing how did you become so involved in pets you're the ceo of the animal policy group and the author of pet nation what did they did the pets lead you into becoming the pet person that you are or was it the other way around i can't say that and uh, uh hope your audience won't be mad at me but i'm i'm a lawyer and uh uh, had a successful career as a, as a courtroom attorney, a, a trial lawyer, um, as well as as a lobbyist and, and, and political advisor. I was practicing in an international law firm in Washington, D.C. back in 2005. I was actually, you mentioned Toronto. Uh, most of my clients were Canadian-based, as it turned out, and I was at the airport in Ottawa, Canada's capital, getting ready to fly back to D.C., and I got a phone call from what is still the largest veterinary practice group in the world. It's called Banfield Pet Hospitals. They're owned by Mars, Inc. And uh, they were leading a coalition trying to address an issue of microchipping, which is one way you can find out the identity of a pet if it ever gets lost. And we ended up solving or significantly advancing the situation for them through some activity in the U.S. Congress in 2006 and i figured uh michael i was i'd had a good run it was fun i enjoyed it well paid and then my phone kept ringing to do more things for members of the coalition and uh, all of a sudden two years later i noticed i had a full-time practice i turned it into what i call the animal policy group which is now my own independently from my law firm and I've been busy ever since, having a great time. It's, uh, I handle regulatory, legal, political issues, strategic issues across the pet specter, veterinary, pharmaceutical, pet food. I do a lot of work with vet colleges um, and and industry coalitions I've formed. So it's I'm a group of nine people now, spread all over the western U.S. as, well, as far east as Portland, Maine. Well, you know, most of us probably, most of us pet owners probably do not um, understand the scope of the industry, which is something we hope to get to down the line here. But from what you say, it sounds like it's an extraordinary industry in itself. And you're also the author of Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. Tell us a little bit about the book. Give us a good thumbnail. Happy to, and it was, uh, I was approached by an agent who they wanted literally an inside story, and it was, it's, it's the story over 
a generation, so roughly about 25 years of, of the wholesale transformation of our relationship to pets in American culture and society and in our homes. But as much as that, the impact of pets on American culture and society, and you, you used a great example uh, in your introduction, uh, flying on a plane, which I'm about to do in two hours. Um, and yes, I'll certainly see a number of, of dogs usually on a plane. Pets are everywhere now. And, and what's happened is pets, it, they were a sideshow. They were accessories for most people. There are exceptions. But if you go back 30 years when baby boomers were kids or, or teenagers, um, pets were outside much of the time, both cats and dogs. And then they came inside, and you had a conversion of two facts. You had people experiencing pets, and they, up front, up close, didn't even know it, but they were getting the human-animal bond, big, big doses of that every day. And what's that? Well, our oxytocin level in our brain goes up when we engage with pets. That's been the subject of many, many studies, and, and there's no doubting, doubting it anymore. And our cortisol level goes down. Well, cortisol is stress and tension and anxiety, and oxytocin is relaxation and calm and, and basically the state of happiness. So, so you physically and mentally feel better without even knowing why it's happening. At the same time, uh, what I remember so well, the, the uh, documented this in the book, American media, both movies, television shows, commercials, sort of figured out there was something going on. And you put a dog in a show, you build a show around <laughs> dog, you do a, com you do a commercial. My favorite, and of course, Lassie was a great example, the, the most amazing dog in the world, who's uh, the novelist that created Lassie character was a friend of Charles Dickens. So she wasn't a product of anything 25 years ago. She lived back in the 1800s. But uh, um, the, the Subaru and Nissan ads are my favorite example. And I'm sure a lot of your audience can remember these. <clears throat> All of a sudden, you'd watch an ad of a Subaru or Nissan going down a California coastal highway, beautiful vista, ocean to the right, steep drop, wind blowing, window down, and a golden retriever in the passenger seat. And that's the entire commercial. And I'm sure the CEOs of those companies saw these ads ahead of time and said, well, when are you going to finish the ad? You didn't tell me anything about the car. And their answer was, uh, well, actually, that's the point. We want to associate a dog with our brand, smiling. That's it. And, and, and sales took off, and, and it, it just began to prove this thesis that association with pets, in particular dogs in the public arena, seemed to make things better. And that, that convergence led the children of, of baby boomers, in some cases Gen X, but mainly millennials, and now grandkids, uh, Gen Zs, to acquire pets. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Early in life. You know, not before they left home, but early in life. And that's the surge you saw in numbers. Where millennials and Gen Zs now own 60% of the uh, pets in this country. I'm flying up to Portland this morning. Uh, my 
four daughters live in Portland. And uh, let me, if I counted it, I think those four represent at least eight pets. And, and they're typical. They're not, they're not exceptional. They are exceptional kids, but they're not exceptional for their pet ownership. So that's kind of the thesis here. And then what you see and everybody sees daily is that dog owners in particular kind of marched out the front door with their dogs and are taking their dogs everywhere in America now. Hospitals that used to never tolerate a dog in a hallway. A nurse would be racing down to make sure that dog was outside. Now they have. You can't, you can't find a hospital that doesn't have an animal-assisted therapy dog. So dogs are now part of the treatment of patients. Uh, certainly not a threat. Hotels. Uh, Kempton Hotels is a great national brand of hotels around the country. They have a special floor now for non-pet owners. <coughs> Excuse me, apologies. So there, we've reached a point where we have to carve out special room for people that don't have pets. Now, we wouldn't have thought of that 30, 30 years ago. We would have laughed at that very idea. So essentially, your theory seems to be that pets are good drugs. And if you have oh, the best. have a pet, um, it will make you feel good, just like the best drugs will make you feel good. And yeah. they don't leave a hangover, although they might leave a pile of something here and there that you might step on an occasion. <laughs> but uh, they are good drugs. They make you feel good. And, and you, you know, you talk about bringing them into a hospital. Um, I can't think of a better way, you know, to make somebody who's feeling pretty bad feel a little better than to have a pet. That they could. Uh... Well, it, it's, it's such a great point. I mean, I, I call it the cheapest medicine at a time when the United States could use some good medicine. And one of the studies that, that got my attention, uh, I have, you know, four daughters and a son. So I, I think about an adolescent. Well, this studied adolescents that had cardio, cardiovascular surgery. So th- these are kids in trouble. These are kids having, you know, before they're 10, major heart surgery. And if they spent the prior hour to surgery with their dog, there would be proven less of a need for medications and pain meds after the surgery. The stress level was dropped going into, during the surgery, afterwards, such. So when that, we're talking there about opioids, right? Right. So uh, you, don't, you, you do not want to introduce an eight-year-old child to opioids if you don't have to. And, and I always thought that study was, was the most powerful study. The, other, the flip side of it is as compelling what I call the social capital of pets. It's not just that people individually feel better, enjoy life, uh, exercise more, are more relaxed around pets. Studies were done um, in Perth, Australia, on the western edge of Australia, San Diego, Portland, and Nashville. And they repeated the study again in Perth. And they were trying to determine what is it that makes a community work, a neighborhood work, feel safe and people more comfortable, they're less isolated, there's less fear, there's more trust. And they weren't trying to prove one thing or the other. They just wanted to see what ultimately was the strongest driving factor. And it wasn't churches, and it wasn't schools, and it, it wasn't was sports. The, it, wasn't, it was the dog it was walkers. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was people going to a park, neighbors... Uh, who would never have spoken. They would have actually yep. probably looked the other way not to be intruding on their neighbor as they walked down a sidewalk who stop and say, what's her name? 
how long have you had her? What's she like to eat? What's she like to play with? And suddenly, 15 minutes later, they know each other. They know each um, other. We're going to have to take a quick break. Mark Cushing, founder and CEO of Animal Policy Group, author of The Pet Nation, and you, you have a pet, don't you? We will be right back. Welcome back. This is the Food Chain Radio Program. Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Today we're talking about pets. And we're talking about how the United States has really become transformed into a nation of pets. In fact, a pet nation. We're talking with Mark Cushing, who ought to know because that's uh, his work right now, is, I guess, to be an advocate for the nation's pet and pet industry. Uh, Mark, we were talking a little bit about a couple of decades ago, but I'd like to take you back even further. Uh, and I was spent a good part of my early childhood on the grandparents' farm up in Montana. And it was the old kind of farm where it had a lot of animals. In fact, probably all of the animals that one typically associates with a farm lived on that farm, on the grandparents' farm. And uh, all of those animals were working animals, which is to say, none of them were pets. They all had a job to do on the farm, and they all did that job. Um, and yet none of them were house pets. Uh, somehow, we've lost that uh, working animal ethic <laughs> and have transformed our pets Uh into house pets they live with us in our houses and they sleep in beds and they travel on airplanes with us how did the nation go about that making that transformation as someone who has an occasion to stand on top of the mountain and look down and how did that happen well it was really as simple as people seeing dogs and cats in the neighborhood and beginning to invite them inside back in the 60s and 70s, but also the media presenting mm -hmm. pets, both cartoon pets as well as live pets. And they were just fun. They were compelling. They were loyal. They were brave. They were helpful. They were always there. And, and, and so you began to have people just see pets around them, and ask the simple question of their parents, can we have a dog? Can we get a puppy? Can we get a kitten? It's, it's, uh, it's almost as if pets, we see pets as being the way we would want us to be. Well, it, you know, it is and it isn't. I mean, I always, when people say pets are the new children, I tell them that that's an insult to pets. They have a much better deal than, than kids do, and they don't have a teenage phase. But two examples are great. Of course, horses used to be purely work animals. They were the transport vehicles for, for the world, and that changed. And suddenly, you know, nobody rides a horse to work anymore, for the most part, except the cowboy. Um, but cats are the great story. Cats came to the U.S. on ships from Europe, and they were sanitation workers, period. They had one job, kill and eat mice and rats so they don't eat the food on the ship. And when they got to the East Coast... And cities were built in, through the Midwest. For the first hundred years, cats were the sanitation workers for cities. They got rid of the, of the mice, the rats. And, and, then, and on the farm, happened. too. And on the farm. But what happened in cities at a scale that, that, that's staggering, it's as if one day all the cats got fired from their jobs. And they were, they were identified themselves as the new problem, the new rodents. 
and they were mass exterminated, mass euthanasia cats, millions a year. Basically, animal control picked up stray cats and they put them to sleep, um, hopefully painlessly. But the point is, flash forward to 2021, and cats are royalty. I mean, I've never seen a group make a comeback like cats made. But it once it happened, and then the, the thing we haven't talked about yet, Michael, is the second half of the media story. What was that? Social media. When smartphones became ubiquitous, and you everybody had one to some degree, not just a cell phone, but a smartphone, right? And social media happened. We became our own film producers, our own editors, our own directors. And what do you see in the morning? You might see someone's baby, maybe. You might see something funny from a TV show, but I guarantee you what you're going to see are videos of cats and dogs. And birds. And people, we just got birds we and, just got one of those videos on the phone, uh, and it's a f- video of bird, of a pet bird. Well, chapter eight of my book is on, on other pets besides cats and dogs. So, yes, so, so people, so then what happened, you know, as people got more isolated in terms of, on your laptop during the day, at home, on your smartphone, you know, the picture of six people having dinner together and they're all on their smartphone talking to somebody else. As we got more isolated, one of the tools in social media that connected you to people that became the dominant tool was what? Videos and pictures of pets. And people couldn't get enough of them. So, so that, that was another factor and that's where millennials and Gen Zs took over because those kids grew up with social media. It's second nature to them. You know, every parent and grandparent knows this. If you can't figure out how to do something on your smartphone or your, or your laptop, you just ask your child or grandchild, and they've got to figure it out in like 10 seconds. They get it. And pets are in the middle of it all. So it, it was, a, 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 if you will, a vast collection of individual episodes and factors and driving agents that converged. And then we began to push pets into spaces, as we talked about before, and places that were forbidden to pets, suddenly, where's the no pets allowed sign? It's gone. There's still some places you can't go with pets. My view is the next 20 years, most of those will change, and pets will literally be everywhere. It seems you, you brought something up about the cat, cats being royalty. It seems to me that pets are royalty, the way we treat them. Yeah. I, if you think about it, they, don't have, they, they have to do very little for themselves. Um, we, we pay attention to them all the time. And they, uh, you know, take, talk, take a dog that likes to play fetch, my, my little puppy, Louie. He lives for two things. We live in the desert near Scottsdale, Arizona. He wants to chase lizards. That, that, that's what he would do full-time if he could. If he never had to be inside, we have to be a little careful of coyotes and, and other animals here, but uh, um, he would chase lizards. But when he's indoors, it, it's, it's fetch. Throw the ball, and I'll, I'll chase it for hours. Please don't stop throwing it. Well, at some point you have to, but the point is, yes, they, they pretty much get to do what they want on their terms. We, we pretend like we're in charge, but it, it, that's just a ruse. Deep down, we're staff. And happily so. And because they are royalty, they really are changing our, our economy, too. They're having a big impact on, on our commercial industries. We're at, here's where we are now. Five years ago, the whole pet 
industry and or economy in the U.S. was about seventy-five billion dollars, which is a lot, but not you know not a staggering number compared to other industries. In twenty twenty, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. $110 billion. And Morgan Stanley, uh, a very powerful investment bank that studies all these things every day, all day, predicts that by 2028, so seven or eight years from now, the pet economy will be knocking on the door of $300 billion. I can tell you that Wall Street and investment firms have flooded into the pet marketplace, particularly veterinary practices in the last three years, buying practices, consolidating them, giving uh, baby boomer veterinarians the opportunity to retire <laughs> with, with a sale price they never could have dreamed of. And, and, it's, and, it's, and every day you're seeing that accelerate. And once that happens, you know, it happened with technology, obviously, and, and uh, it's happened with artificial intelligence and so forth. Once, it, once something gets on fire and you know it's not a fad, smart, smart, smartphones, excuse me, aren't a fad. Pets are not a fad. They're not going away. Millennials and Gen Zs, when they have kids, you think they're going to have fewer pets? No, that's not going to happen. In fact, during COVID, it wasn't just new pet owners trying out a puppy. It was millennials and Gen Z saying, I think my, my dog needs a playmate. When I go back to work, I think he's going to want to have somebody in the house to play with. So it, it's just getting started, believe it or not, America. You may think, surely we can't, we're done with this or, or the, we've reached the limit. No, no, we, we're just getting started, in my view. Well, as I opened the show, the numbers seem to be telling us that we're having more pets and fewer kids. And so looking down the road, you can see that's probably where the money's going to be in the future. You brought up the veterinary practices. And, you know, being a pet owner myself, <laughs> I know where the money goes there. And it seems to me like it's better to be a vet, vet than it is to be a, a family doctor, uh, given the extent the you know, the, the regulations that are involved in people medicine don't seem to be quite so stringent in pet medicine. And so when you go to the pet doctor, you have to fork out a lot of cash. Well, it, it, doctor, human doctors make more money than veterinarians. That's always been the case. There are considerably fewer vet schools, 33 veterinary colleges in the U.S. versus 185 vet schools. So... Vets are doing much better. Starting salaries are better. Um, that's all good. And, 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 and your career path is much more secure. And as you're paying off student debt, that's important to know. But our challenge today, if you're a pet owner, and, and, and I'm sure you, you've seen this, there are exceptions to everything. But the basic rule today is there is an acute shortage of vets. You can't get in for an appointment. Uh, emergency clinics are now telling people they have to wait one to two days to get in for an emergency. Uh, um, we have a real crisis on our hands right now, and it's a combination of a shortage of vets and the surge in a pet population and pet owners that are millennials and Gen Z is they want the same health care for their pet 
that they get from themselves. And that was 180 degrees different 30 years ago. There was no sense that, that a pet deserved the kind of medical care, the ongoing care, advice, guidance, and so forth that a, that a person had. Uh, we've, we've changed our own expectations for ourselves, and it's no different for pets. And, and frankly, the industry wasn't ready for that. They did not know that was about to happen. And that signals a huge change in the economy of, of veterinary industry. Now, how exactly does that industry work? I, un- I understand that it is undergoing a lot of consolidation along the way here. Yes. It, uh, lawyers, doctors, dentists, veterinarians are regulated at the state level, not the federal level. So every state has a, a medical board, a dental board, a veterinary board, and they regulate, if you will. They have, they give you your license. You take the examinations you have to take. They oversee and make sure you're not a negligent practitioner, right? right. Um, and the regulate it, it's it's not a system dominated by federal insurance or federal Medicare type payments. So you're right. You you basically pay cash. There are pet insurance companies. They're now doing much better, but they still only capture about four four. That's not, not forty. Just the number four percent of all pets in this country. So most pet uh, health care is a cash, uh, non-insurance activity. Um, but it's a, uh, again, the volume of demand is such that it's really put pressure on a system that just doesn't have enough people. It doesn't have enough nurses or technicians. It doesn't have enough veterinarians. And you can't change that quickly. That, that's one of the challenges I work on every day. And then what about the consolidation wherein, um, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, you're, seeing, you're seeing two-person practices get acquired with a group of two-person practices to make 10 hospitals. Um, there's now probably between 75 and 100 groups in the country that do that. You still have the highest percentage of practices are individually owned. Um, on the general practice side, what you think of as your day-to-day vet. Uh, On the specialty side, where we have hospitals like Blue Pearl Hospital, who's a client of mine in Manhattan and New York, they have close to 50 doctors. So people can't even picture that. Specialists, the same exact specialties you have in human medicine, we have in veterinary medicine. That's been a change, and that's the most consolidated of all veterinary practices. And there's there's really three leaders, um, four leaders, I guess you'd probably say, in the country that have the lion's share of those practices. And that's, that, that's more consolidated. But those are also expensive to outfit. The technology, as you would imagine, is, is much more expensive and extensive. Um, and, uh, but it's what people want. People, people want, they want a urologist for their dog. They don't just want a general practitioner if there's a special problem. Um, they want a kidney specialist. They want an orthopedic surgeon to deal with the re- golden retriever's hind leg issues, the same as they would for themselves. You know, one would suspect that um, if you're an apartment owner or a condominium owner in New York City and you have a pet, uh, you're probably willing to fork out a lot of money to make sure that that pet gets the best treatment available. And I suspect it would cost a lot of money in New York just to uh, operate a, a uh, vet hospital. So if you take Fufu into the vet at a uh, New York City, you're probably looking at some money there. 
Well, my brother and his wife uh, don't have kids. They live in New York. They had a Shih Tzu named Bella that was the the joy of their life, and she just passed away. At one point, she had seven seven specialists at Blue Pearl, the, the, the hospital I mentioned. Um, it is interesting you pick you take New York. Um, what's changed dramatically, even in less than ten years, apartment developers. Apartment owners have learned one thing. If you want to rent to a millennial or a Gen Z, you better be pet friendly. And 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. The biggest problem with pet ownership was, I can't have a pet in my apartment. What am I going to do? And, and now, particularly anything new, anything constructed, I'd say, since 2015, uh, odds are, and I mean high odds, it's going to be pet friendly. And that's changed dramatically. But you're also seeing at the other end of the demographic, nursing homes being pressured. And I'm glad they are. Why would you not let somebody have a pet in the last 10 years of their life when they probably need companionship more than ever? And we know how to take care of pets. So the idea that, oh my God, they'll mess up everything. They don't. If they did, nobody'd have a pet. Nobody'd have a dog or cat if your house was in total chaos. And what a joy it would be to have a pet in in a nursing home. Folks, this is a Food Chain Radio program. Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Hitting What. We're with Mark Cushing, who is the founder and CEO of Animal Policy Group and the author of Pet Nation. And we have you, too. And you have a pet. I know you do. Stay tuned. You can earn a substantial income by farming for the city. All you need to do is take your crop to market and win the competition for the consumer dollars. There is a well-proven strategy for winning this competition. You will find it embedded in Metro Farm, the guide to growing in or near the city for the city. Court Ideas, Greg Williams. There's a tremendous amount of useful information in Metro Farm for farming in or near the city. Acres, USA's Charles Walters. Metro Farm tells how to convert an opportunity into a real going concern. Every chapter is organized around the logic of practicality. For every problem needing a solution, Metro Farm offers a progression of steps arranged in sequence so the desired goal is achieved. Before you plant your seeds, pick up a copy of the Ben Franklin Book of the Year award-winning Metro Farm. Then plant your seeds and win the dollars. MetroFarm.com. MetroFarm.com. When you buy local American-grown flowers, flowers will grow and flourish in America. Hello, I'm Deborah Prinzing, author of Slow Flowers for Certified American-Grown Flowers. When you buy local flowers, you're helping our country's family farms reduce the transportation footprint of flowers and enjoy fresher, longer-lasting bouquets. So please, next time you shop for flowers, think local. Think Certified American-Grown Flowers. Visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org to learn more. Hi, folks. How many of you out there love to garden? Wouldn't it be nice to grow some of your own food? Or maybe a flower garden would brighten your day. Well, now you can have the pleasures of gardening without all that effort. You don't need a tractor. You don't need a rototiller. All you need is the Knox Garden Box, a heavily constructed portable elevated garden on legs that can virtually change the way you've gardened in the past. The Knox Garden Box can be set up anywhere. Yes, you can place it right on concrete. For those with bad backs, you've got critters and gophers, no space or maybe no dirt. With the Knox Garden Box, the therapy of garden is now the prescription for good mental health. 
The way to find your fabulous Knox Garden Box is by logging on to KnoxGardenBox.com. That's K-N-O-X GardenBox.com. Or by calling 831-461-9430. Business owners, get money you need in two to three days at BusinessMoneyToGo.com. Business Money To Go is a network of reputable small business lenders that compete to lend you money. When you qualify with a one-page application, Business Money To Go will get you the best loan at the best rate in two to three days. Get five to $500,000 in two to three days at businessmoneytogo.com. Businessmoneytogo.com. Welcome back. This is the Food Chain Radio Program. Michael Olson. We're talking pets, and we're talking about how pets essentially have taken over the world, and um, they've taken over us, have they not? Uh, and I think of myself, like they've taken over me. Um, I walk the dog every eve- dogs every evening, and and as Mark was saying earlier, in the walking, I get to meet people, and it's always the people. Um, and they're dogs, but when you look at it, it's really the dogs pulling the people around. And it's, it's in that way, I, I have come to think that the animals have taken us over. What do you think, Mark? Well, they still need our help, okay? So they, they, they put up with us because uh, food doesn't show up. <laughs> And litter boxes for cats and dogs don't get let outside on their own. So it's a good partnership. I, I like that word partnership better. But it's uh, anybody that thinks pets work for us uh, doesn't have a pet. Um, they've got to stay in everything. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your work as an advocate for pets and as an advocate for the industry. Um, it's hard for us to really comprehend the extent of the industry. Can can you kind of paint a picture of what the pet industry looks like for us? Well, you have you have healthcare, which are veterinarians, and there's usually three types of pro- professionals or, or staff inside of a veterinary hospital. There's the, the veterinarian, who's the doctor, uh, you know, who's received a doctoral degree and passed a, a national board license. There's vet techs, which are really vet nurses. Uh, we don't call them nurses because the Human Nursing Association, believe it or not, has said that they'll sue and they'll lobby and they'll do whatever they can to stop anybody from calling themselves a nurse besides themselves, which is silly, but that's the way it is. So vet techs are like nurses. And then you have veterinary assistants, which are, are often people that may not have... Uh, vet techs, by the way, have a two-year degree typically from a community college and take a national board exam, and then you have that assistance. So that's the people in the office. Then you have medications. So all of the big pharmaceutical companies that, that do the R&D and create the medications and pills and uh, all the, the, the medication treatments that we need, they either have animal health divisions or they've spun them off as separate companies. So you have pharmaceutical, like you, you would think, and then you have the nutrition, and those are pet food companies. And those range now, like human food, from big conglomerates to small niche, you know, uh, very sensitive, very specific types of diets. Then you have the big industry, the American Pet Products Association, uh, all their members, and Steve King's their uh, CEO and good friend of mine. 
And there are all the things we buy for our pets. And some of those things are utilitarian, a bowl for water, something as simple as that, to Halloween costumes, to you name it, toys. You can't have enough toys for a pet, right? You can't, dog can't have enough things to chew. Cats can't chase enough things. So um, that's kind of the anchor of it. Then you have behind it diagnostic companies that do all the diagnostics on blood and other samples that come from your pet to decide what the problem may or may not be. Um, and you have specialty pet care services companies, dog daycare, dog boarding, uh, retail pet stores like PetSmart, who I work with. You have Chewy, the online company. So it's, in many ways, the pet economy mirrors the human economy in terms of things we want for ourselves. Increasingly, those things we want for our pets created differently. They look different, but it's essentially an amenity or, or a, something that's necessary to kind of get through the day-to-day life. And don't let me forget, you know, fleece dog beds and, and kitty beds. Even though pets sleep on top of our beds, they all have their own special bed that they look at and maybe spend an hour a day on. Um, and then you have pet insurance companies. And so you, you kind of go on and on. But if you, if you look at it, it it's, it's a picture of the human uh, amenities and accessories economy designed for pets. And there also seems to be a very interesting conflict evolving over the last decade or so with respect to um, how we see our pets and how we see animal agriculture um, and I, th- I think a lot of young people, especially, are looking at animal agriculture and demanding that animal agriculture, I, can, I don't know, treat, treat their animals like they're pets, as if they were pets. Any thoughts about well, that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I do some work in that field. It, it, it's more, it's less that they want them treated like pets. It's more that they want, well, some people want, you know, food animals to be set free. They, you, know, they're, they're, you know, there are people that are, that are not just personal vegans or vegetarians, but they, they would like to see it illegal to consume meat from an animal. Okay, that's not a majority. I don't see that happening anytime soon, if ever. Um, so what they want is the conditions in which the animals are raised to be more humane. They want room for a pig, a veal calf, a chicken to turn around 360 degrees, to move, to not be restrained in such a manner that you spend your entire life just standing until you're consumed. You know that. So th- there's there's a strong movement there. It's a uh, um, it's it's not not a an easy issue, but there's tremendous support for regulations. The industry is negotiating that, trying to figure out what will work to allow them still to create a sustainable food supply. So that you know, that that fight and that process uh, is complicated. But I wouldn't quite call it treating them like pets. I guess I, I I wouldn't use that word in that case. Okay. And what happens when these two interests, you know, animal agriculture and um, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, for example, what happens when they meet and contend in Washington, D.C.? Well, it's, uh, you know, two of the most powerful 
nonprofit advocacy groups in the country are in the animal space. One's called the Humane Society United States, HSUS. One's called ASPCA, uh, American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. It goes back to the 1800s, the latter does. They both raise about $175 million a year and spend a good deal of that on politics, you know, on lobbying, on messaging, and and uh, both at the federal and state level. So um, in the in the pet world, nobody spends anywhere near that kind of money compared to those two organizations. No one does. No company does. In the in the food animal side, you know, the, the, the cattle industry, the poultry industry, the pork industry, you know, they, they have big budgets, as you would expect. But it, it's a fair fight. I mean, it's not like people advocating for change uh, are, are begging for money and don't have any. Uh, it's 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 well funded on both sides, and so you have lobbying, as as we know, lobbying in, in every industry. The pet world's really not, not much different. So the, the people who are giving money to the um, ethical treatment organizations would seem to be pet people, correct? Some are, yeah. Some are, or some. It's just an ideology that they have. They may or may not love pets. They just have a view that, you know, you shouldn't consume an animal. Um, the most extreme group that people may know is PETA, P-E-T-A, yeah. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And PETA has some very, you know, they, they successfully led the campaign, which has almost removed fur coats from the American uh, uh, fashion world. But they also, their view is that pets are slaves and slavery is, illegal so we shouldn't be allowed to have pets now, they don't promote that view too often and too publicly but it's on their website that's their actual position i'm familiar with their position and now if you i think if you talk to a dog or a cat and say how'd you like to be let free in a forest tomorrow they'd say uh, i'd be happy to i'd be surprised if i made it until noon without a coyote or, or some other creature you know right. uh, having the better of it so but but so you can't easily say PETA is driven by love of pets because in many ways they don't want people to have pets. They think pets, it, that's a denigration, that, that's an enslavery of uh, of the animal. So it, it, there's layers and layers of people's views about pets. And, and I've been lucky to make a good living and have a really interesting profession navigating that universe, which is something I do every day. Mm-hmm. Well, it would al- almost seem like like uh, organizations like PETA don't want there to be any animals because <laughs> if people if people don't have that interaction with animals, what would happen to animals? There would there would be yeah. far fewer animals. Well, I'll tell you what there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be any Shih Tzus, uh, standard poodles. I mean, there may be a farm animal going back to the, you know, the, the time you were referring to, you know, on a sure. ranch in Montana. But, but in truth, their view, and, and that's always the issue, is can you with a straight face make the argument that, that it's better for the, for the dogs and cats of the world if we reduce their population by 90% and there's fear of them and they live all day fearful and hiding and just trying to escape a larger predator um, and, and trust me, there's going to be nothing that, that changes the wiring of a coyote. Last evening, uh, my wife and I were awakened twice at midnight and at three in the morning from 
howling coyotes probably 50 feet from our house because in the desert you have areas, you know, and they're just roaming as a pack. And they probably found bunny rabbits this time, maybe, they, you know, but the point is you, you go into a lot of neighborhood parks in this country. doesn't matter the size of the city. And you'll see on, on telephone poles, posters, particularly of cats missing, you know, cats, people don't let cats outside because of predators. So, so that world that PETA envisions, it, it's not a fuzzy, warm, fun world. It's a, it's a cold, harsh, you know, hide, hide or be killed kind of universe. So I, I don't think it improves a lot of dogs and cats. Well, no, uh, however, it would seem to get nice rid of them. You know, it, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yes. W- I, I can't see how there would be any animals left. I mean, what if we if we are not allowed to have a relationship with animals? Um, it seems to me like there would be no animals. I don't know. And the other part of their argument that um, animals are our slaves, I don't know. You, if you look at somebody walking down the street uh, with a dog on a leash, that leash has two ends. And yeah. I'm not sure who's no. who's the slave here when it gets right down to it, because it seems oh, like we're the slave. Oh, yeah. No, that's 100 percent. I mean, 100 percent. That's the case. So it's it. Listen, the pet economy, the, the enjoyment of pets, the human animal bond is it's not about to wrap up. It's just getting its tailwind for a long, long. I can't see any end to it. And there shouldn't be. Pets make people feel better. By the way, the same oxytocin and cortisol exchange that we experience, pets experience. So it's not a one-way street. So pets make people better. They make people healthier. They make communities work better. They make people feel safer and, and less feel less isolated. What's my recommendation? We need more pets. We shouldn't have a law. I'm not, I'm not recommending a law that requires people to have pets. But we need more pets. I know our times. Uh, I've got to head to an airport shortly. But yeah, uh, we just we, can, we have we about can, uh, two minutes left. And I was going to ask you with the in in these two minutes, um, Mark Cushing. You're the person who's really has the has us focused on this industry. Where do you think this industry is going? The industry of pets, and where should we bet our money? Well, I, th- I think you're going to see more and more pets that aren't cats and dogs, beca- particularly because we have a shortage of dogs. So you're going to see people struggle to find the dog they want. Um, and you, you may have people willing to try birds or fish or, or reptiles and so forth. <clears throat> and they're a niche, but they're, they're, there are a lot, of, a lot of families that have them. I think you're going to see attention paid to three shortages, veterinarians, veterinary nurses or technicians, and dogs. Those shortages have to be addressed. That's what I spend most of my professional time working on. Those shortages must be addressed. We can't, we won't enjoy what we've been enjoying at the level we'd like, and particularly the next generation, if we're in a chronic acute shortage environment. We don't ever want dogs to become luxury items. There's parts of the country right now where a golden doodle puppy is $5,000. That's a luxury item. And and so uh, shelter prices and adoption fees have gone up just because of scarcity. And the law of supply and demand applies to 
dogs as it applies to, to anything else in the world. So I think, I think we have a great future ahead, but, but shortages have to be addressed. You don't want a cloud always hanging over an industry. And right now a cloud's formed. And, it, and it's, it's not a friendly cloud, which is you're going to have a hard time seeing the vet. If you have an emergency, you may not get in right away. And you may, it may be challenging. You may have to wait a couple of years to get the dog you want. The price tag is going to surprise you. That, that's, that's just a fact. Are there exceptions? Yes, I can hear your listeners thinking, well, well my shelter's got too many dogs. Most shelters don't have that issue anymore. I'll just tell you that. So, um, so, so there you are. There you are, but I've enjoyed our great question. Mark, Mark Cushing, really... founder and CEO of Animal Policy Group and the author of Pet Nation. Thank you so much for joining us. And catch that airplane and count how many pets are under the seat for me, okay? <laughs> I'll need both hands, I'm sure. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the talk. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends missed the show, tell them to log on the Food Chain page at MetroFarm.com for a listen. Now, go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live. Open for takeout and delivery, El Tapioc Mexican Food Restaurant in the Tri-City Center of Redlands is back. Their entire family is on hand to serve up their delicious burrito. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM.